Well, the one thing was the change in family medicine, and we started seeing family physicians being pushed out of the hospital systems in, in place of hospitalists. And you had a decision to make whether you wanted to stay inpatient or you wanted to stay outpatient. And I chose to do outpatient, and that, and that was fine. That was good. I thought I could make my biggest impact that way. But where we really started seeing the change is what it was taking more and more effort just to keep your head above water financially. You had to see more people. You had more paperwork to do associated with that, more coding, more procedure coding, more regulations, more control of the insurance industry that was requiring you to do more and more to do the same job. And so I started seeing there's going to be a critical mass here. There's going to be a point where I cannot physically see as many people as I need to see and keep my head above water as it would be. And then there started to be a breakdown in care where I was was not able to spend the time I wanted. I was habitually running an hour to an hour and a half late because I was trying to give that care and the system was not allowing me to do that. You're listening to episode number 111 with Dr. Ken Richter. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to Pursuing Health. In this episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Ken Richter, who is a family physician and who has been running his own private primary care practice in Scotland, Pennsylvania for the past 30 years. Ken initially graduated with honors from the University of Maryland Medical School in 1985, and he completed his residency in family medicine at Washington Hospital in Washington, Pennsylvania in 1988. About five years ago, he transitioned his practice from a traditional insurance-based fee-for-service model to a new membership-based model called Direct Primary Care, or DPC. Since that time, Ken has been involved in a grassroots effort to grow the DPC movement and bring it to the masses of primary care doctors and patients. And shortly after making this professional transition, Ken also started doing CrossFit, which has had a profound impact on his own life and health. So as you can tell, I was very excited to catch up with Ken recently. We discussed his background in family medicine, how he's seen the landscape of primary care and health care overall change in the past 30 years, some of the benefits he and his patients have experienced from switching to a direct primary care model, and some of the similarities he sees between direct primary care and CrossFit. A few quick reminders before we get started. First, this episode is produced by CrossFit Beyond the Whiteboard, the best workout tracking in the biz and the one I've been using since 2009. You can learn more at beyondthewhiteboard.com. Next, if you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and consider consider giving it a rating. It really does make a difference and helps to get these episodes out to more listeners. I'm also always looking for inspiring stories to share. So if you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send your story to me at info at juliefouché.com. Finally, please remember that although I am now officially a doctor, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and it does not provide medical advice. So with that, let's get started with episode number 111 of Pursuing Health featuring Dr. Ken Richter. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Thank really you. excited Thank you. to be here with Dr. Ken Richter. And I was just thinking you are the first family doctor to be on my podcast, which is very exciting. That's great. The inaugural event. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for being here. I'm glad to be here. Um, I'm really excited to talk a lot about your journey and a lot about direct primary care, which is something I haven't really talked about on the podcast before um, and some of your experience in CrossFit. But I thought we could just start sort of back at the beginning with what led you to pursue a career in medicine in the first place. Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, first of all, I think that's something that I always wanted to do was medicine. I can't remember really wanting to do anything else. Mm-hmm. In seventh grade, I read a book on how to become a doctor. And wow. these were the steps that you had to take to follow <laughs> to be a doctor. Wow, and I, I did wish I had all. that book. <laughs> I, oh, man. I volunteered in the hospital. I got my name on a research paper okay. just to get my name on a research paper. Mm-hmm. And I followed all the steps. Um, but I think it was always, it was the marriage of the, the science as, lo- as well as the, the patient encounter that I really loved. Mm-hmm. And then when I went through medical school, 
I really liked everything that I did. Mm -hmm. So family medicine seemed to be the best fit for me. Um, and when I went to my residency program after that, the residency was great. Uh, the autonomy has a family physician to take care of most of whatever walked in your door was mm -hmm. a cool feeling. It was great to be able to take care of everybody, kids, everybody. So that was a, a great deal. Um, I opened up my own practice uh, right out of residency in 1988, mm -hmm. um, long, long time ago. Yeah. And what you, was it like? Yeah, what was it like to to kind of come out of family medicine residency at that time? What was the it practice was, of family medicine? It was like? great. Mm -hmm. uh, family physicians were the first part portion of the healthcare to go to. That was the person you went to. Mm -hmm. But we did everything. We took care of people in hospital, uh, out west. Uh, there was a lot more OB care, and mm -hmm. they actually did surgeries from appendectomies and gallbladders and yeah. stuff just really unheard of today for a family physician yeah. to do but you were trained to do that and mm -hmm. you really did everything so it, it was cradle to grave type of care mm -hmm. and you saw the people in the hospital when they came back to your office you knew what was going on <clears throat> over the years that really started getting more specialized even to the point of having family physicians just stay in the hospital mm -hmm. or be outpatient or urgy care, which mm -hmm. were non-existent when I was coming right out. And to start a practice, it was a very simplistic thing to do. You would go into town. I want to be a family physician. Mm -hmm. The banks would say, how much do you need? And <laughs> that was it. And you really put your name out there. And really the biggest decision you had to make was, do you want the bold print in the yellow pages <laughs> or the single print? That was it. And people lined up. My first day of practice, I had 37 people that day. Wow. First day. That's and, amazing. And never looked back. We were able to build a building within my first two years of practice. And I thought, well, this is the way it was supposed to go, yeah. right? You know. Um, then over the years, we grew to a pretty big practice. Um, I had another uh, physician, had two uh, mid-levels, a, nur a, a nurse practitioner and a PA. We actually had a chiropractor in our office at mm -hmm. one point. Uh, and uh, we just started to see the breakdown of the system from that. So I don't yeah. know if you want to get into that, but that's Yeah, the, Yeah, that um, was one of my next questions is sort of as you're in this practice, what are some of the big changes that you saw happen in healthcare, maybe in primary care, but then in healthcare in general sure. over the course of your career? Well, the one thing was the change in family medicine. And we started seeing family physicians being pushed out of the hospital systems mm -hmm. in, in place of hospitalists. And you had a decision to make whether you wanted to stay inpatient or you wanted to stay outpatient. Mm -hmm. And I chose to do outpatient. And that, and that was fine. That was good. I felt I could make my biggest impact that way. Mm -hmm. But where we really started seeing the changes, what it was taking more and more effort just to keep your head above water financially you had to see more people mm -hmm. you had more paperwork to do associated with that more coding more mm -hmm. procedure coding more regulations more control of the insurance industry that was requiring you to do more and more to do the same job mm -hmm. and so I started seeing there's going to be a critical mass here. There's going to be a point where I cannot physically see as many people as I need to see mm -hmm. and keep my head above water as it would be. And then there started to be a breakdown in care where I was, was not able to spend the time I wanted. I was habitually running an hour to an hour and a half late mm -hmm. because I was trying to give that care and the system was not allowing me to do that. I think when it all hit the skids was with the Affordable Care Act. Mm -hmm. When that went through... We then had to, we computerized the medical records in our office. We uploaded tons of patient data. And that's when I said, this is just not, this is not going to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. And that that's when that moment hit. So was it that before you were being, were you always being reimbursed the same amount per visit? Or was it that the, the reimbursement changed or just that there was more paperwork and hurdles that you had to jump through in order to provide that same care and get the same reimbursement? Yeah, no, the reimbursements, uh, the reimbursement really never went up too much, mm -hmm. but it was more um, f overhead to collect that okay. money. We got to the point that it was 60 cents on the dollar to collect the dollar. Wow. Um, and that was personnel, that was computerization, that mm -hmm. was delays in treatments. Mm -hmm. uh, Pennsylvania, I mean, to give you a quick example, in Pennsylvania, there was something wrong on our computer program that could not be fixed, apparently, that Pennsylvania uh, Medicare would not accept our forms and it was a mandatory 30-day wait before they would even look at the claims. Wow. So we would see a patient in January and wouldn't see that payment till close to March. Wow. And so that delay was just, it was a whole bunch of little things like that, but it all added up to going like, we're, this is this is tough, we mm -hmm. can't do this. And you try to do ancillary things to try to uh, subsidize the practice, mm -hmm. different things that you could do. But the bottom line was, it was taken away from patient care. And, mm -hmm. and that's, then you started feeling it more emotionally mm -hmm. than you did before. Yeah, as long as you had that patient care aspect, okay, we can get through this. Right. We'll figure out some ways. But that started interfering, and that's when it started to be this really unrest that just something's got to give. Something's got to be better. 
Were there any specific examples or things that you can think of, like moments or patient encounters where you thought you started to see that patient care um, deteriorate because of all these other demands? Uh, we started losing patients. Mm. And um, and it, it was the patients who were saying, I really love you, Dr. Richter, but... You know, I can't wait an hour and a half mm-hmm. and it's hard to get in. Uh, the access isn't what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we're going to have to go someplace else. Unfortunately, the place they went had the same problems, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but yeah. but that's when we started saying, well, this this is almost, I'm losing my credibility as a physician, not because of my abilities, but because of the system I'm in. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I thought, well, that's okay. Now you're really starting to generate my care. And it wasn't one incident, it was multiple, multiple ones, yeah, all the way through. You could just see this trend that was going through that we just didn't have a lot of loss and then we started getting more and more loss, mm-hmm. more discontent. You could see it in the patients. Mm-hmm. How did you see your other family medicine colleagues kind of dealing with this or changing their practice when this started happening? That's a great question. I was chairman of the family practice department and um, I could kind of see the writing on the wall. Mm-hmm. And I asked the family practitioners out there, how many of you do you see yourself in the hospital here in the next five years? Mm-hmm. And only half of them raised their hands. I said, I, th- I think you're wrong. I don't think you're going to be here at all. Mm-hmm. But what was the trend was the hospital was buying up the practices. Mm-hmm. And then what would happen is that we would take three generations of doctors that had been in a practice and the hospitals would then demand more of that new practitioner who says, I've never seen 45 people in a day or yeah. I don't normally order this many MRIs and they replace them. So you'd see these practices that were generationally in our county that are gone mm. and replaced by somebody coming in new. So the day of the salaried hired physician was upon us. Mm-hmm. So much so we could see independent practices. Either the physicians were leaving or they were being hired on and then replaced. Mm-hmm. But that independent practitioner was going away. And we not, I not only saw that in our community, I saw that really across the country. There was a mm-hmm. trend of hospitals and insurance systems buying up doctors' practices. Mm-hmm. But you decided you didn't want to be part of that. <laughs> I could not do that. I, I just heard nightmare stories yeah. and I, I just, I said, there's got to be a way that I've got to control the way healthcare is is distributed to my patients. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not, I, I had been independent for so long. I mean, at the time I converted over to direct primary mm-hmm. care. I've been practicing for 25 years. Mm-hmm. As an independent owner of a physician, or owner of a practice, yeah. it would have been really difficult for me to go as a salaried employee yeah. under the rules and regs of maybe things that I didn't even agree with. Mm-hmm. I just, I just, there's got to be a different way. It was, I, it was either that I don't think I'd have quit. I don't think I'd ever quit medicine because I love it too much. Mm-hmm. But I sure would have been unhappy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you found a different way. So yeah. how did you end up then finding this avenue, this direct primary care that you're uh, doing now? I, I complained a lot. <laughs> um, and uh, my mom, in one conversation, she says, by the way, she says, I, I heard this doctor on Mike Huckabee show. And, uh-huh. uh, he says he's got a solution to uh, what's going on. Oh. and. Um, I kind of had had this thought for a long period of time mm-hmm. and I shared it with my wife and mm-hmm. you know what just kind of kicked it around but I watched this show and I actually we we had recorded it and it was on a Saturday night and I watched it and this guy was saying everything that I thought wow that's kind of like the is this really working yeah so I looked the guy up uh, googled him and found his email and wrote to him and literally, 10.34, I send the email, 10.35, my cell phone rings, and he's on the phone. Wow. And I couldn't believe it. And had about a 45-minute conversation with him, and it was like, oh, my gosh, this is exactly what I had in mind. Mm-hmm. Does this really work? So it was a practice in, a very successful practice, uh, um, Atlas MD, and mm-hmm. they're in um, Kansas City. And I flew out and spent the day with them. Mm-hmm. And it was so different from anything <laughs> that I had ever been exposed to they were successful at it, and I went, wow, what do I need to make this work in my community? Yeah. Um, and it was really, it was not a complicated process of, of how to do that. And mm-hmm. that was in July of 2013. Um, in September, I made the decision to do it, uh, to convert over to direct primary care. January, my letters went out mm-hmm. to all my patients, 
And in March 2014, I converted over to direct primary care. Wow. So pretty quick turnaround. Pretty quick turnaround. Can you just explain for people listening what direct primary care is? Sure. Uh, Direct primary care um, originated from a concierge model. And that's a lot of confusion sometimes because people hear concierge medicine. Mm -hmm. And concierge medicine is still around, but it's really for the 1% of the 1%. It's a very expensive program. And for certain individuals, that's great for them. Mm -hmm. Um, But we need, and it's been called a concierge for the masses. And the idea is good. It's a monthly membership model that you would pay a monthly membership fee and not involve the insurance companies in your outpatient care. Mm -hmm. By doing that, we find that it actually becomes less expensive for outpatient care, more accessible, more complete, and actually the quality goes up because you have more time to spend with people. It's it's not that you're a better doctor, it's just that you spend more time with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be like any craftsman. Any right. craftsman, if you have more time to do your craft, your tender, gonna, you're, you're gonna do, put out a better product. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, this originated probably about 15 years ago in Seattle from Garrison Bliss, and um, others started mimicking this and, and coming on. So. I was the 174th practice in the country when I did this, wow. and there's about 1,200 now. That's um, so it's really growing great, growing, mm-hmm. growing well. But that's the whole premise, and you separate yourself from the insurance company. So this is not insurance-based medicine uh, from a membership model, monthly membership um, fee. So I think when a lot of people hear that it's separate from insurance, um, they have apprehension about paying this separate membership fee in addition to whatever insurance premium, high insurance premium that they're paying now. So how do you see that playing out for your patients in terms of do they are they able to find different insurance plans or do they still find the value to be worthwhile that they're going to pay the membership fee anyway? Sure. And again, that's, that's a great question, Julie. Cause what, <laughs> that's it, what we're all it, trying it, to figure it's out. It's really, it is. Because <laughs> initially, that is what the, the somebody would come to me and said, why do I want to do this? I already have insurance. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, over the years, I've had to learn the answer because initially mm-hmm. I'm going like, you know what? You make, you're right. I, yeah. That's a, that's a good point. Um, but I found that even when you do have insurance, you're still paying out of pocket. Mm-hmm. And most insurance is not only paying the premium, but you have a deductible to meet before your insurance even kicks in. Mm-hmm. And even if it does kick in, it doesn't kick in at 100%. And the insurance decides whether it's going to kick in. Mm-hmm. So there may be a procedure that you think should be covered that isn't. That's on your ticket. So there is a myth out there that if I have insurance, that means I'm covered. That means you have insurance. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that kind of gets, I think, when you talk about health insurance, insurance is really there to just prevent financial bankruptcy from health reasons. It does not provide you health coverage, Mm -hmm. which those terms get mixed up. So if the proper way that that we advise for patients is that what you want to be able to do is you want, once you pay your premium, that's lost revenue. If I, if I pay that premium, I'm never going to get that money back. Mm -hmm. But if I can keep control of my other dollars then I can determine how I'm going to spend them. Mm -hmm. So we have to assume we're all going to have a deductible or I'm going to have to pay so much up front for this thing to not have a deductible. I'm probably going to lose money. So if I can pay a low deductible and then I assume me a low premium, then a high deductible direct primary care working with that can keep my deductibles down because my cost, my out-of-pocket expense is going to be reduced, Mm -hmm. mainly because we have uh, relationships with imaging companies so that the cash cost of an MRI, Mm -hmm. for instance, instead of being $3,600, is $350. -hmm. Or a a lab fee that through the insurance would have been $550 is now $55. So the combination we, we don't advocate that people go without insurance because for those catastrophic claims, yeah, you need, you need those. It, yeah. um, but for the everyday, it, it's just too expensive. The best analogy, the close analogy is the auto insurance. Mm-hmm. When we buy auto insurance for our cars, we don't buy it for the windshield wiper blade changes and the tire changes because it's the out of pocket expense. Yeah. Oil changes, right. That's routine care. Yeah, I can afford that. I'll mm-hmm. pay that. If we did... We would be paying for everybody's oil change and everybody's windshield wipers, and our premiums would be through the roof, mm-hmm. and we would only really get our value back when we're in a bad accident. Mm-hmm. And, and what good is that? Right. So the insurance today is you go, my only value back is if I'm really sick, and I don't want to be really sick, right? <laughs> right. So that's kind of the, you have to just separate yourself out and say, if I want good outpatient care value, that's direct primary care. Um, and you have a great video too. We'll link it. Um, 
when you post the uh, the podcast, we have a great video where you talk about some of the confusion about insurance setting their prices and sure it's a, <laughs> it was the restaurant, a, yeah, yeah. The, the restaurant menu it was very entertaining um but can you give an example then just of maybe an average patient maybe a patient who has like high blood pressure and depression and maybe over the course of the year they get they have some sort of musculoskeletal injury maybe they need an x-ray or an mri and how that might end up playing out in terms of the cost they're paying through direct primary care versus insurance? Sure. Well, um, one big thing that we're finding that's going on right now with a lot of uh, fee-for-service offices is Mm -hmm. they're not taking care of multiple problems at one time. Mm -hmm. So if you went in, for instance, you're saying hypertension and depression, I think Mm -hmm. the other musculoskeletal injury, they may see for the hypertension and say, we'll bring you back for the depression. It's only 15 minutes and we're not going to get reimbursed for any that's exactly right. Time. We're yeah. not, so you may, one, you're going to be probably divided into three visits. So mm-hmm. we're not even going to count the time loss and the money loss that you're going to be from those three visits. Right. You would walk into our office and we would have a half an hour appointment with you, which is our standard appointment time. Mm-hmm. Go over what's going on with you, hypertension, um, for depression issues, and then if a musculoskeletal injury that would need some imaging. Mm-hmm. What we normally do is if hypertension, we would talk to you about lifestyle changes. Mm-hmm. Um, the lifestyle changes would be okay, how much sodium are you eating? How much mm-hmm. salt are you eating? Uh, do you need to lose weight? Do you need to exercise a little bit more? Are, what's going on in your life right now? Mm-hmm. Maybe the people are a little hypertensive because of stress going on causing the depression. So you have more of a holistic, what's going on in your life right now? Yeah which takes a lot more time. It takes a lot of time, yeah. But it's much more complete to say, I need to get the whole picture. If we get that picture and you still have an elevated blood pressure that needs medication, I have the ability to be able to give a medication that's probably going to run you somewhere around 3 or $4 a month mm-hmm. to be able to start that medication treatment right at my office, ready to start. Mm-hmm. Um, then let's move down to the next problem, say the musculoskeletal yeah. injury. I would again say, how much are you ex- how much are you moving? Is this a soft tissue injury? Is there something that is acute or chronic? If this is chronic, then maybe what I need to do is just to try to instruct this person on more mobility, more activity that they need to do. Again, if it's weight loss, maybe to get that off the joint before yanking out medications for this. Mm-hmm. I would probably hold on any type of scan mm-hmm. because I just don't think it's necessary mm-hmm. unless I really thought there was something pathologic going on or I needed to consider surgery for them mm-hmm. um, but I would do that first if they did and here would be the difference then if I would start the hypertensive therapy and um, help them with the depression whether they need a medication or not my follow-up would either be through phone mm-hmm. text messaging or it would be through another office visit mm-hmm. and I would give them the choice what do you feel more comfortable yeah if they said wow I mean I got a lot going on I said let's just meet up just text me how you doing over and I said if you'd like to stop in here anytime we'll get your blood pressure checked make sure you're good on that yeah um and if your knees don't bother you let me know now we've had situations where a patient would follow up and say you know I would really feel more comfortable with an MRI of my knee mm-hmm. we can arrange that mm-hmm. um It'll be $350. I can definitely swing that. $350, I can swing that. So the care becomes then more uh, uh, convenient with your lifestyle Mm -hmm. and more consistent with how you want to live your life. There's a great expression. I think Benjamin Franklin said, I have to look up who said this. I'm probably (laughs) wrong quoting it. But he said, "A a man can waste his whole life staying healthy. Uh, Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. Um, So yeah, there are things you need to stay healthy, but you don't want to spend all your time in the doctor's office. You right. don't want to spend all your time waiting around. It, you have other things you need to do. Think about I mean, Think about your schedule, what goes through. And mm-hmm. it's it's really tough, all of us, to do that. So it would really be nice if I could just text or get, and we understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, we understand that in a practice. And so that convenience, because it's not tied to a payment model, right. then that's uh, that's a really of uh, that's available. So that's pretty much how I would handle that mm-hmm. patient all the way through. Whereas if they were like you kind of contrasted it in a traditional um, insurance based model where you may have to come back for multiple visits, um, probably the medication is going to cost a lot more. You may not have the time to go into a lot of the detail to see how all these things are connected and what's going on in the patient's life because you're on this you know trying to see patients as fast as possible. Sure. I think the other big part of it too is that hospital based physicians 
and again, I don't want to make a generality, but this does happen. Mm-hmm. They're incentivized for testing. Mm-hmm. The hospitals run off ancillary services, so they're incentivized for worrying. I can almost guarantee you they would end up with an MRI that need right off the bat. Mm-hmm. I guarantee it. They may end up with a cardiology consultation for their hypertension or maybe a treadmill test. Mm-hmm. And for, for depression, they would probably get some psychiatric consultation mm-hmm. as well because you just don't have that time. Right. Now you've really complicated this system. Not only is it going to be delays, but huge amount of money for something that the family physician is very, very able to take care of. Mm-hmm. It's just time. Mm-hmm. And and that value of time, I tell you, I've thought about this a lot. Is that is really valuable, and it's it the time is treatment, and the time is comfort, and you can't match that. You, you can. cannot match that. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a convenience, and it's not like wow, you went above board. It's necessary mm-hmm. for treatment, and I think that's why we're starting to see in direct primary care patients are getting better. It's not because they feel better about being with us. It's because that time is actually treatment. Right. And we're able to give it. And when you spend that time up front and you get help people get better, then you're saving so much saving so pain much, and absolutely. suffering on the backside. So amazing. So you decide this is what you're going to do. You switch your practice over. You send out all your letters. What was that process like of of kind of taking this leap of faith to try something completely different. The, the amount of pain that I found. <laughs> no. well, it was it was it was exciting. Yeah. It was scary. Um, it was a little bit painful. I think the hardest a couple hard things for me was that I went from a staff of fifteen down to two. Because mm. you just don't need That's the overhead. Tough, yeah. That was tough. Uh, there were people with me for a long time, but I had to make that change. That was the probably the biggest delay of me doing that. Um, I had 4,000 active patients at the time that I converted my practice, Mm -hmm. which converted to 2,700 household letters that went out. And I I wrote that letter and read it and rewrote it a dozen times, and it was still a horrible letter that I wrote. It was apologetic. I'm so sorry I have to do this. And all they heard was, he's not taking insurance, therefore he can't care for me. Mm. Because that do you have health insurance equated to do I health get health care? And that's mm-hmm. still today. Mm-hmm. I mean, you call any doctor's, fee-for-service doctor's office, call and say, hi, I'm Julie, I'd like to make an appointment. They go, what type of insurance do you have? Right, first well, question. Don't you want to know what's wrong with me? No, <laughs> first time we know, are we going to get paid? Right. And do we accept that insurance? So there's already a blocked access for that. So they heard, uh-oh, he can't take care of me anymore because mm-hmm. he's not taking my insurance. So anyhow, after those letters went out, I arranged for six weekly conferences to patients mm-hmm. at, at a little town hall thing and the first one I met oh my gosh I was met with like you know deer in the headlight oh, looks no. and it's a little angry yeah at the end of it though every last person signed up as a patient and That's I actually amazing. come up and they said thank you so much for doing this which was very heartfelt I was very emotional mm-hmm. um and out of that 4,000 patients 375 signed up which I'm finding is actually a pretty good number. At yeah. the, at the at, when I did this, I thought, oh, oh my gosh, man, yeah. oh man, I, I thought, where am I going to get room for another four? You know, right? Wasn't like that at all. So at that point, I said, okay, now how do I track new people in? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, there's a, a bazillion different marketing ideas that me kicked around. I, I'm a pretty good talker so I, I did a lot of speaking mm-hmm. chamber of commerce meetings and talking as much as I could to people mm-hmm. that worked a little bit but it's still as I think it's been the age old it's word of mouth mm-hmm. it was word of mouth and slowly slowly and steadily we grew, we grew. Mm-hmm. and how has it been for your patients the ones that came with you now that they've been part of your practice and you've evolved over the last five years what do they tell you now about the care that they're getting now compared to what it was like back then. Uh, it's really amazing. I mean, they're they're very very uh, thankful about that. Actually, I did a, a quick thing. I did a video, um, mm-hmm. and I asked, "Please tell me about what you think about the care that we're giving mm-hmm. compared to what it was." And it was again very heartwarming. Like you know, I, I feel much more cared for. Uh, the accessibility is great. I love the convenience of it. I love the text messaging for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually saving more money doing this way, even though I'm paying you a fee. I, wow. I've saved so much more money. So all these things coming back were just really wonderful words. I feel much more cared for. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, I'm the same guy I was. I did not <laughs> change the way, you know, but it was the time. Right. But it was, it was accessibility, I think affordability, caring, uh, efficiency, um, and quality 
were the things that came out for those words that came out from those patients. I thought, wow. Mm -hmm. And that was what they saw as a difference. Mm -hmm. And what has the difference been like for you? The difference has been 180. I tell you, I I truly, my happy spot is in my office. I love being in there and I love sitting in front of patients and Mm -hmm. just listening and I'm not rushed to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, As I used to see 40 40 patients a day. I see 12 now. Um, And each of those meetings are so much more meaningful and I get so much more work done in them. I mean, Mm -hmm. so much more progress is made for those patients and it's just so much more satisfying for them and and for me. But it's it's really a world of difference. I don't feel that pressure that I had anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, The income is good. Um, I I don't have to worry about production, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's just the same amount, just Mm -hmm. growing the practice with memberships. Just providing good care. That's providing really good care, about. yeah. That's really nice. Um, okay, so then I want to switch gears a little bit and start sure. talking about CrossFit because yes. you also happen to do CrossFit, which yes. is amazing. Um, how, I think you said today earlier that it was your son that initially found it, but tell me kind of how you first heard about it and then how you eventually got to joining a gym. Sure. Well, what ended up happening was uh, my son uh, and my wife and I were actually visiting my son in Tennessee okay. when he was living in Tennessee and he was watching the CrossFit games. Oh. Uh, man, I love this. I really want to do this one day. Mm-hmm. My wife was saying, yeah, I think I want to do it too. I <laughs> said, you guys are crazy wanting to do this thing. <laughs> and so Kyle moved to uh, Connecticut, uh-huh. um, hooked up with a gym and called us said, you guys have to do this thing. It's, it's re- great. I love it. I love yeah. it. So Sandra was riding around town and she saw a CrossFit gym right before Thanksgiving, uh, which was four and a half years ago, almost yeah, four and a half years ago now, mm-hmm. and um, went in and talked to the guys that were there and uh, they said, hey, look, come on in for a week. Just give it a try. You know, just mm-hmm. give it a try. She came home and she said, <laughs> we're going to do this. I said, not before Thanksgiving. Come on, man. We got stuff coming it's up. The holidays. The, it's the holidays. You don't do that stuff during the holidays. I said, well, you're not going to go by yourself then. And we went in and we were both sold. I, I think the coolest thing to me was that I had a fair amount of injuries. And I, I think I'd mentioned to you about breaking my leg twice. And mm-hmm. I was never the most mobile person in the world. So some of the skills out there, I said, I'll never be able to do that. So I immediately went in. We were able to do a workout because the coach scaled it for me. Mm-hmm. I had a great sweat, felt good, and felt I was part of the class. Mm-hmm. But I was nowhere near the skills of other people. But never once did I feel intimidated or I felt like I'm the slow person in the mm-hmm. group or the old person in the group. Mm-hmm. I felt like I'd worked just as hard as the person doing everything RX. That's you know? awesome. And that was really cool. Yeah. That was actually, that was a big moment for me because mm-hmm. I said, I fit in here. Mm-hmm. I fit. And anybody can do this. And, and it was what was like, your, your athletic background like growing up and prior? I, I played, uh, well, it's kind of interesting because um, I played football uh, all the way through kind of mm-hmm. a, as a as a you know 12 or 13 year old all the mm-hmm. way up through high school um, and I played a lot of tennis I played softball it, but I never was a conditioned type athlete and and weight rooms were not even a part of football mm-hmm. back then um, your entire conditioning of football in high school and this was 1976 77 was show up two weeks before the season starts we're gonna run we're gonna do some calisthenics yeah. we're gonna go, and then we have our first game and, you know and and that was it you'll be ready that was it and it was 10 weeks and then boom that huh. was it so I really never I mean I was always active with sports but never in a conditioning, conditioning type thing mm-hmm. um and then, of course, then you go through college, which you hardly do anything, and then medical school, and that kind of kills <laughs> yeah. you even more, right. as you know, from it's there. Like downhill spiral. <laughs> so, I, like I said, I would always stay active, but I would be more that weekend athlete. Like, I'd yeah. always want to throw a football around, or let's play some tennis, or that type of stuff to do that, or racquetball. And then it would be periodic moments. Um, my wife, Sandra, was, we did P90X for a while, mm-hmm. you know, in the basement, yeah. and we did it for 90 days <laughs> and Sandra stuck with it. And I said, I'm done with my 90 days, but there, I, and, and I always had great intentions. Uh-huh. You know, I can't tell you how many coat racks I have made off of Bowflex. Oh yeah. You know that story. So I had, you know, tons and it would always be great intentions and I just never followed through with them. Mm-hmm. So, t- and I, we had gym memberships that we would go and just, again, just, it was not that connection. Mm-hmm that's also one of the biggest surprises for me was CrossFit, mm-hmm. was that there was something that kept on pulling me back. And it wasn't the exercising, it was the community. Mm-hmm. And that that's the five stars for me. That's that's the thing that really sets it apart from anything I've ever experienced. 
And so now you've been doing it for, you said four, four and a half, half years. years. That's amazing. Yeah. What kind of changes have you noticed maybe in your own life or health or anyone else that you've noticed? Oh, well, kind of personally, my range of motion was horrible. <laughs> uh, um, I, I've finally been able to get to a pretty decent squat. Nice. Uh, my strength has definitely improved. My stamina has definitely improved. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really a good judge now of when we come up with a wide my pacing is really good. Mm-hmm. My breathing's a lot better. There's just a lot of things that I just took for granted before, but now I'm conditioned to have to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had different injuries even through CrossFit, but from that I've learned to move better because mm-hmm. of it to avoid the injuries now. Right. Um, and it's, I mean, now my wife is a part of this. Uh, my uh, my stepson is a uh, a level one a trainer. Mm-hmm. My son is a level one trainer. <laughs> I'm going to go for my yeah, MDL one. I'm so excited. It's awesome. So it's really neat. So it's really become now a full family thing. That's so fun. I love that. Yeah. I love sometimes when our whole family, Danny and I, um, both of our families have gotten into it. And so sometimes for holidays, we'll do like a, a family workout or something like that. And there's nothing better than that. That's really cool. Yeah. We're all heading to the beach in May and I, I almost guarantee we're going to do something on the beach. It's mm-hmm. going to have to happen. Sounds awesome. Um, so I want to talk a little bit too about some of the overlap between DPC or direct primary care and CrossFit, because I sure. think they're very similar it's models. There, yes. I mean, you think about what CrossFit did from a kind of traditional globo gym sort of community and brought in this low overhead model for really amazing strength and conditioning. Um, and then kind of what DPC is doing is a low overhead model, basically really focusing on that relationship between the doctor and the patient. Um, and so there's a lot of parallels. And I think, you know, this weekend we were at the Hint Summit and surrounded by a lot of people who are part of this movement. It felt very similar to me to being at CrossFit events where people feel like they're part of this sort of grassroots movement, sure. doing something really exciting and new. Um, and so I'm kind of interested to hear your perspective on that being in both worlds. Yeah, well, First of all, I, I have learned more things about mobility and strength from CrossFit than I ever did from medical school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ever. And nutrition and all of that together. Mm-hmm. I've also recognized the need in my patients for mobility. And it's, it's, it's alarming to me. But it's, I, I just never saw it before. Mm-hmm. And I think I was, very, I was very quick to pull out an, an anti-inflammatory and understand, yeah, this, you're sore because you're sore. Mm-hmm. But I work through soreness through mobility. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, man, I feel better because I'm moving. Mm-hmm this is really something to this. Mm -hmm. Um, So then why can't everybody do this? And and this needs to be a part uh, of everybody's life. This is not just for those crazy people on TV. This Mm -hmm. is for everybody. So the direct primary care ticket, I think really is enhancing health because if you think about the fee-for-service model is incentivized by disease, mm-hmm. direct primary care is incentivized by health. You know, the, the more we keep our patients, the less they stay out of our offices, yeah. which is a good thing. Right. And so, the more room you have to bring in more patients. Uh, yeah. yeah. So this is, we're incentivized by this. Mm-hmm. So I want to keep people healthy. So, okay, I can now I can talk better about nutrition. I can talk better about uh, mobility and mm-hmm. activity, um, and I have more time to do it. What I find is lacking is where to send them, mm-hmm. you know, because I need a cooperative CrossFit gym. Mm-hmm. There are no CrossFit gyms around my area mm-hmm. except my gym, which is 20, 25 minutes away. Uh-huh. So, okay, now you say, where's the link? Because I've got to be able to have, if I make the suggestion, I've got to be able to have this jump to place them where they need to be yep. and have this understanding that this needs to come together. You're exactly right. I think the physicians that are doing direct primary care are like-minded because care is coming first or patients are coming first. CrossFit is functional fitness. Mm-hmm. It's learning how to move better in all aspects of your life. It's not just in the gym. It's everything that you do from sitting down at your desk to getting up and all that. So it's, again, it's a full life type of commitment to health. Mm-hmm. We see that with direct primary care. So the goals are very similar. Mm-hmm. And although this one goal with CrossFit might say, well, we're going to concentrate because we're going to put you in workouts and we're going to talk about nutrition, mm-hmm. where direct primary care is looking at, we're going to watch your blood pressure mm-hmm. and we're going to watch your sugar levels and a little mm-hmm. bit more scientific levels of what we need with chemistries and that type mm-hmm. of thing that melding of those two things really are together. We're, mm-hmm. That same goal, and it should be together, that shouldn't mm-hmm. be separate. So I don't know how you mix them together. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I think that's the perfect world. Um, like I said, it would be great to be able to have a DPC office mm-hmm. and a CrossFit gym 
right next to you or part of your office or part of where you could even work out with your patients together. Right. You know, would be a cool thing. That's setting the ultimate example for them and, and showing them that, you know, it doesn't have to be intimidating and that there are people just like them that are working out in the gym. Because exactly. I think sometimes that's the biggest hurdle is just helping people have the confidence to even want to take part in it or to step in the door. Sure. Our, uh, our, um, the owner of our gym, Tim um, Kellinger, uh, has said, and I, I love this quote, he says, he thinks the hardest thing about CrossFit is walking through the door. Oh, yeah. And he says, and once you're in there, you feel like family and you don't want to leave. It's so true. And it's so true. And I mean, it was us. It was me, mm-hmm. you know, for sure. I mean, I just didn't, I just, if I never entered it, and once I was in, I really didn't want to leave. Right. It was as I felt <laughs> I was part of the group. So it was really, that was for me, that was definitely true. That's amazing. Um, so where are you hoping to see primary care in the next five years or 10 years down the line? That's, that again, that's a great question. It's kind of hard to answer because I don't know what the American healthcare system is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and you heard me this, this weekend when I quoted that in 2025, it's predicted that if the healthcare premiums continue as they are, the, the average cost for a family will surpass the average household income for a year, which is just insane. So it can't work this yeah. way. It's, it's not going to work. There's going to be some big changes. The nice thing about direct primary care, which I feel is it fits in any type of other model, because since we're not insurance-based mm-hmm. and since we're not controlled by those outside entities, we're always going to be there. We can tweak it a little bit here and there. So I do think that the only way a person is going to be able to be independent in family medicine is to be direct primary care. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have to influence other physicians to come this way because, and they may be a group that say, I'm very happy where I am, I'm very happy drawing a salary, I'm very happy being an employee, I'm very happy mm-hmm. punching a clock, and I'm taking good care of people. That's great, that's mm-hmm. good. For us, it's gonna be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, I want more patients to be able to attract it to this because I think you'll get a healthier population. But where it's going to look in five years, I think the split's still going to be there. I don't think you're going to see family docs in the hospitals anymore unless Mm -hmm. that's all you do. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think there's going to be this growth of independent direct primary care. It's already there. Mm -hmm. And you're going to see this more and more. Where we want to position ourselves is also to make sure that outside entities don't interfere with what we're doing because of laws that are passed. And so we've got coalitions going on right Mm -hmm. now to protect what we have. And what we have is pure it's not money driven. It's for the good of, of our, our fellow citizens. And you see that when you're with a group of direct primary care docs, they're looking out for each other too. Mm-hmm. You don't see this uh, competition. Yeah. You see this camaraderie and I want you better because we're doing the right thing together and you feel like you're part, truly part of a team. I mean, it sounds yeah. so niche, but it, it's true. It, it's, it's so, you feel like you're really part of a grassroots type thing. Mm-hmm. And I know you guys, obviously been involved in CrossFit a lot longer mm-hmm. than we have and can feel that a lot more. I got in here really as one of the early adopters yeah. and really has seen that, I feel more more now that truly is this is a movement mm-hmm. rather than a model, it's a movement. Yeah, it's gaining a lot of momentum. momentum. Um, where can people listening learn more about direct primary care or find direct primary care doctors in their area? Yeah, the, um, one, I'll give you my website. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's www.scotlandfamilymedicine.com mm-hmm. with one T, Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, and on in Pennsylvania, there, right? Yeah, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that, you'll actually see there's a little tab on my website that says learn more. And there's been an animation. This animation, a lot of family docs will use, or mm-hmm. the DPC docs will use this. In about three minutes, it'll teach a DPC mm-hmm. in heartbeat. There is also uh, a website called DPC Mapper, mm-hmm. um, M-A-P-P-E-R, and you can Google that. And that will give you a, a map of the United States with dots where there's DPC practices. Um, and that's probably the most up-to-date map that you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably some of the best sources that you can do to get initial information. Um, if anybody has any questions, they're more than happy to, I mean, I'll be more happy mm-hmm. to answer. They can email me through the website. However they want to, I'll be glad to help them out, get whatever um, practice if they can't find it right away to get them placed in a good spot. That's awesome. And you also have a YouTube channel. Yes. Which is, is it Curbside Consult? Curbside Consult with Dr. Ken Richter. I it's, think you have to put all that in there because there's yeah. a lot of curbsiders out there. <laughs> a lot of Curbside so, Consult. So Curbside Consult with Dr. Ken Richter. But it's kind of fun. I try to get that out about every couple weeks or so mm-hmm. Yeah, with something that I think is relevant to all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do try to make it not, so much non-medical, but there are some medical tips in there mm-hmm. and uh, 
it's fun. I want people to kind of write in and say, hey, can you talk about this and that? Yeah. Sometimes there's little political stuff in there, but I'm not political from standpoint of Democrat and Republican, but more of how the politics and medicine and, and what we're doing as far as helping shape. Mm-hmm. Every, everybody has a story to tell about a bad experience right. with health insurance or whatever, and we're trying to help you through those those uh, trails because it, it's hurdles sometimes to be able to get through that. Oh, yeah. It's so confusing. I don't even, I mean, they don't really teach us that even in medical school much about, but when you have to go through it for yourself as a patient or paying bills for something, it's just mind-blowing how confusing it is, let alone someone who has had no medical training. Oh, so. it's really, and I think it's, I think it's really made purposely that way mm-hmm. oh, so yeah. that there could be denials of course. and people don't know what they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> Of course. It's just confusing. Awesome. Well, I want to finish with three questions that I ask everyone on the podcast. Yes. So the first one is the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health. Oh, my health. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a devotion every morning. Oh, I love that. Um, do you have a specific one that you do? Or? Yes, my utmost for his highest. Okay. Oswald Chambers. Uh, I do that every morning. Um, it kind of sets my mind right. It sets my mind right for the day and, and kind of gets me going mm-hmm. for that. Um, and I'm sorry, that was the first one. What was the that other was, You have three things. Three things that, that I do. Have the po- that have a positive impact on your health. Have impact, so okay. So devotional is uh, one. The second thing is CrossFit, mm-hmm. uh, without a doubt. Um, my wife and I are very dedicated. That We're there every time we can be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that has had a tremendous, trem- probably the... I know this is CrossFit stuff, but truly, it's had the biggest influence on me for health. Mm-hmm. I've never exercised like this in my entire life mm-hmm. and never stuck with something for more than four years. Yeah. So that's, that amazing. One, that's amazing for me. Um, and the third thing truly is trying to get eight hours of sleep. Yeah, um, oh, I huge. feel if I don't, if I do not get eight hours of sleep, I, I feel the effects. Mm-hmm. And a long time ago, when I was on call, I used to pride myself with being up for 36 hours and still functioning. Mm-hmm. Now How you would times have, to, have changed. Times have changed, man. You have to pick me up off the floor if that was going on now. So probably those three things. Okay, I love it. What about one thing that you think would have a big impact on your health, but you have a hard time implementing or you haven't quite done it yet? Nutrition. Okay. Uh, I need to be better with nutrition. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I don't drink enough water. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't eat regularly enough. Um, and I need to do that. Mm-hmm. And I recognize I need to do that, especially as I'm getting older. Um, probably that's the biggest thing. So... Uh, and it's, it's laziness. There's, there's no other, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no other reason. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. My gosh, I tell people about it all the time. We all do. Yeah. But we all, I mean, part of it too, is just the, the lives that we lead and how much you have to kind of plan ahead and the, the foods that we're constantly being exposed to that are easy and convenient. Um, it makes it hard to, it does. Do a good job. Yeah. It does. It does. And I mean, I, I count on my wife for a lot. She's, yeah. she's really good. <laughs> she's really, really a fantastic influence for me for that. That's awesome. Uh, last question is, what does a healthy life look like to you? Oh, healthy life uh, is pretty much good sleep, mm-hmm. uh, good exercise, and good nutrition. Mm-hmm. I think those, those three aspects uh, makes that healthy life. I love it. Well, thank you so much. This has been oh awesome. Yeah. I really appreciate... Um, you sharing your experience. I'm really excited to see what happens with direct primary care and CrossFit. And I'm excited to hear about your experience at the MDL one coming up here soon. You will too. Get, I'm excited for you guys too. Thank you <laughs> Thank so you. much. Julie. Thank you. Hey there. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. I had so much fun chatting with Ken and as usual, I wanted to share my big three takeaways from this conversation. Number one, relationships are therapeutic. Whether it's simply being able to spend more time with your doctor like Ken has been able to make happen with his direct primary care practice or the authentic relationships that you tend to develop inside the four walls of a CrossFit affiliate, relationships have so much power in improving our health and happiness. Number two, if something is broken, find another way. I really admire Ken's bravery at the time five years ago to take a leap of faith for his patients by transitioning to a direct primary care model rather than doing as many primary care physicians did, which was transitioning to work for a large hospital system. As he highlights, the system was and still is very broken, but he didn't continue to work within this broken system, and he looked for a new solution. As a result, he and his patients have been happier than ever. Number three, start with the basics. We often underestimate how much spending that little bit of extra time to sit with someone and listen to them 
or make a dietary exercise or sleep change can have a profound impact on our overall health. To make sure you never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefouché.com and subscribe to my email list. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send me an email at info at juliefouché.com. I'll choose some of these inspiring stories to share here on future episodes. Don't forget you can train with me through Beyond the Whiteboard by visiting trainwithjuliefouché.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health. Have you tried out Thrive Market yet? If not, you are definitely missing out. What are you waiting for? Thrive Market is an online marketplace on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. It allows you to shop for thousands of the best-selling non-GMO foods and natural products, always at 25 to 50% below retail prices. But as a Pursuing Health listener, you'll receive an additional 25% off your first purchase plus a free 30-day trial if you visit www.thrivemarket.com forward slash ph. My husband Danny and I shop for our staple grocery items using Thrive Market. Things like nut butters, cooking oils, snacks, dressings, coffee and tea, personal care products, eco-friendly cleaning supplies, and non-toxic beauty products. It has helped us to stay on track with our busy schedules during medical training, and we know all their products are coming from a curated list that we can trust. So no matter what you're looking for, whether it's paleo, vegan, ketogenic, gluten-free, non-GMO, fair trade certified, or any of 80 plus other types of products, you can easily find them on the Thrive Market platform at prices 25 to 50% below retail. Even better, these items are shipped straight to your doorstep, so you don't have to worry about the time or hassle of grocery shopping. Thrive Market's mission is to make healthy living easy and approachable to everyone, and this aligns perfectly with my own personal mission and that of pursuing health. Because it has been such a lifesaver for me, I wanted to share the benefits of Thrive Market with all of you, and they've responded with an amazing offer. So head to www.thrivemarket.com forward slash ph to receive 25% off your first purchase plus a free 30-day trial. Again, this is on top of their already 25 to 50% below retail prices. So why not try it out and do your grocery shopping from home this week? I hope you can take advantage of this offer and enjoy their service as much as I have. Once again, that website is thrivemarket.com forward slash ph to learn more. No discount code is necessary. Just shop around and the discount will be applied at checkout. This episode is brought to you by Siete Foods. You know, when you meet a group of people who are just so genuine that you can't help but treat them like old friends or family? Well, that's how I felt when meeting the Garza family, the founders of Siete Foods. Siete Foods is a healthy Mexican-American food brand that makes grain-free and paleo-friendly tortillas, tortilla chips, quesos, and hot sauce. My husband and his family first met the Garzas at PaleoFX several years ago, and they had an instant connection and have kept in touch ever since. Maybe it's their powerful origin story that makes them so relatable. Veronica Garza was facing a series of major health challenges as a teenager. Her entire family of seven jumped on board to help. Together, they adopted a low-inflammation, grain-free diet. But as a Mexican-American family living in South Texas, they couldn't imagine life without tortillas. And it wasn't long before Veronica came up with a delicious solution and Siete Foods was born. After years of enjoying their delicious, grain-free, dairy-free, and paleo-friendly tortillas, tortilla chips, queso, and hot sauces, I finally had the chance to meet the Garzas in person, and they immediately made me feel like a member of the family. Their passion for making the world a healthier place is contagious, and their generosity spreads to everyone they touch. I'm so excited to have Siete Foods as a sponsor of this episode, and if you're not already a fan of their products, I promise that you will be as soon as you try them. They've provided an exclusive discount for Pursuing Health listeners. Just use code JULIE when you check out on sietefoods.com to take advantage of their offer. Again, their website is sietefoods.com, S-I-E-T-E-F-O-O-D-S.com, and you can use code JULIE for 10% off your order. (music) 